from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report. We're going to be counting down the top 10 things this past week that made us go wow. Wow. Uh, I'm Fender Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by Tom Campbell, our chief creative officer. And, of course, James St. James, without whom nothing. You are the editor of The Wow Report. You're a literary sensation. And it's always a pleasure. So um, I know we've got a lot to talk about. It's a big week. It's always a big week. Uh, let's start, jump right in at number 10. Number 10. The least kept secret is that has been officially announced which is there is going to be a RuPaul's Drag Race down under Kiwi Queens and Aussie Queens, and we're uh, about to shoot it in New Zealand. And um, and Fenton and I are indeed with the production, and we are indeed in Auckland. Um, and the the part of the story I want to tell you is we've been freed, but we spent 14 days in one room lockdown isolation where they knock on your door, where they test you, where they drop your food at the door, where, uh, and, and because we came negative and we stay negative, we are now out and about in Auckland, which right now has no COVID a world with no COVID with, with, with they're still, you know, they were in lockdown as of August or something, but they're, they track, if you go to a restaurant, if you go to the, get your haircut, you're supposed to track that you've been there. So if someone, God forbid, does have COVID, they can contain it quickly. Um, if you're on public transportation, you still wear a mask. If you're on the bus or, or the, or, or you know, in, a, in an Uber, you wear a mask. So it's kind of surreal, um, but I'm jumping ahead. But Fenton, tell me about the highlights of, because, you know, if anyone's had to quarantine, I know we're all quarantining in, in, in Los Angeles anyway, but like there's something special about being in one strange room for 14 days. It should be an HBO series. That's right. I mean, they, they, they greet you off the plane and you are taken under escort uh, to a facility, which is a, a hotel that the government has taken over. There's fencing erected all the way around it. And you are sort of, processed by people in full PPE and there's members of the military around and you are sent to your room where you remain for the next 14 days. There is one except there are two exceptions. One exception is every other day you are allowed to board a bus and you get taken to a field that has a series of pens and you are told to walk around the field inside the pen. Um, like, like, cattle. like cattle. Like cattle. It is like a cattle pen. And you're getting on a bus with a bunch of people and then walking around a pen with a bunch of people? Doesn't that seem well, sort of not a bunch of people. You're all in the same facility, quarantine facility, and you're socially distanced on the bus. You're wearing a mask, and you have to keep your mask on. And when you walk around the field, you have to maintain social distance. You're not allowed to run. Um, you're not allowed to pass each other. It's like, it's like I imagine, what exercise the exercise yard is like in prison. Huh. Yes. And it was it was a metaphor for life. It's like you walk in a circle and then you die. But you know they're very you, they you're supposed to hand sanitize when you get on the bus. You're supposed to hand sanitize when you get off the bus. You're supposed to hand sanitize when you get back on the bus. Everything is really really tightly. They take it very seriously and they're very kind. But there are military with guns and medical nurses everywhere. 
and they drop the food outside the door of your room and knock on the door. And uh, uh, like, so you get so like a, like a mouse in a cage. You like, when you hear the rustling of the bags, you're like, oh my God, the food's here, the food's here. Which frankly wasn't that nice, but that's okay. Um, Listen, but you would like crash and get your Benton, bag. Benson didn't like the food, but can I tell you the one night that the food, which always dropped at six, didn't drop till seven, I realized I like this food. Like, give me my food, give me my food. Like, they're not going to feed us tonight. They're not going to feed us. So uh, the other time you're allowed out of the room was when you had to go to get tested. And they do nasal fisting like no one else on this earth. Like they don't, they don't just, they stick it all the way up and then they keep going. <laughs> it's the most. That's the only way I know. When I was tested, I had to have a little hand surgery and I had to go to Cedars early on. And they gave me the, I, I, I think I incredibly invented. The, the phrase nose fisting because they go up uh, passages into your sinuses you had no idea and they tick the top of your head and during drag race how they give lobotomies i mean let's be real isn't that what they do they take a, a screwdriver and shove it up your nose feels like well, it. Now, now that you mention it yes now <laughs> i also i don't think i could deal with that because um i think my michael jackson nose would completely collapse and fall off <laughs> if they did that to me i don't think after years of drug abuse I don't think I could take a nasal fisting. Is is up to a conversation weeks. stopper? I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm I, I don't do it. I reckon, but, but then it gets weird because after two weeks, you are free to go, and you're free to walk around outside without a mask, and that feels weird. You're like, you know, those dreams where you're meeting someone really important, and you suddenly realize you're naked. It's like that. You feel weird, you know. Yes. I'm already having nightmares where I don't have a mask on. And now it's like I leave my hotel room and I'm like, what? what, what? Yeah. Oh, oh, it's OK. It's OK. It's OK. I sort of yeah. feel like, I, like I'm swaddled like a baby who is swaddled in a blanket when I wear a mask. I, I enjoy it now. It's become so normalized to me. Yeah, it, it's it's it, it's like underwear. It's like, of course, you wear a mask. You wear yeah. underwear. Of course, you wear yeah. underwear. Right. Anyway, that's the big reveal of where we are. And 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 in the in the far near future, RuPaul's Drag Race down under. Yeah, that's right. We'll be coming to Wow Presents Plus and uh, to uh, Stan in Australia and TVNZ in New Zealand. So, yes. all right, James. Sorry, we, what's number nine? Number nine. Well, number nine, I just we, we we have to take a moment and talk about the inauguration fashion that we witnessed yesterday because it was off the hook. There were some amazing things. And I know I've been very anti-fashion lately, but I was really I was really impressed. First of all, I mean, the, the, the main two takeaways were Gaga and Michelle Obama. There's just no two getting away from the the bird, uh, you know, uh, the it was it was um, Gaga's outfit was Scaparelli. It was this giant golden dove on her, and it managed to be both uh, understated and over the top at the same time. It was it actually, it was perfect. It was the perfect choice. And Michelle Obama in that purple coat, the purple dress, the gold buckle, the hair was perfect. That little, the little twirl of the hair, just, she was a superhero. She was a goddess coming down from the stairs. I wanted to say, that um, Katy Perry 
looked so gorgeous. So that the fireworks, the closing out was spectacular. I di- I didn't care about. I haven't cared about Katy Perry in years, and suddenly I'm a biggest fan again. Yes. Uh, yeah, J Lo in her white Chanel was was elegant and stunning. And what would you call that hairpiece, James? That was a big, that was a big pumple doodle, or I don't know what that was. It was beautiful. Yes, it was very good. Um, First Lady uh, Jill Biden looked stunning in her Mark Kikian outfit, I guess was the name of the designer, that sort of turquoise, sparkly, matching jacket and dress. She looked very, she's, I I think we're really going to love her. I think she's going to be one of the best First Ladies of all time. Um, Joe Biden's daughter, Ashley, I don't know if you saw her. She yeah. was the one in the gender flipped, uh, Ralph Lauren tuxedo. And it was, it was just perfect. It looked so good. She was spectacular. Um, Kamala Harris's stepdaughter, Ella Emhoff, uh, yeah, Ella Emhoff wore that, um, it was a Mew Mew jacket with the big sparkles on it. Yeah. Yes, and the New York Post said that it will surely go down in fashion history as one of the all-time best inauguration outfits. I also, I'm just going to say it, I liked what Melania wore. She got off the plane. In that I was podcast. going to, yes, I was going to confess. I have nothing good to say about her no. ever. Never will say anything. But I like that Mumu that she deboarded in Miami wearing. I was like, what is that fabric? It is. It's um. It was Gucci, and Gucci has been doing this um retro thrift store look, seventies thrift store thing for a couple of years now, and that's what it was. I it was. Some people were saying it was Mrs. Roper. Some people were saying now she's being fashion forward and fun, you know. But um, I James, yeah. I assumed it was a fashion tribute to you. Well, I I would definitely wear that, and someone yes, I think it's, it's really good. And I do just want to say that um, uh, Michelle Obama's outfit was an LA-based designer, Sergio Hudson, head to toe plum and burgundy. Someone it was sent me a picture. Uh, someone sent me a picture of of all the women from the inauguration, and it, it and they when you line them up next. Oh, it's the color of the rainbow. Do you think yeah. that was accidental or on purpose? Well, I'm sure that you can take any, go to any, you know, uh, any party or anything and grab a bunch of colors and line them up if you want. I did like that they replaced the green with Bernie Sanders because I don't know if you've been enjoying the Bernie Sanders memes all day because it's all these elegant women and then Bernie sitting there in his coat. <laughs> no. That is the fashion takeaway. That is maybe the fastest spreading meme I have ever seen. It is in everything. I can't even start to list off. They have in the middle of Bette Midler and What's-Her-Face and Beaches. They have them on RuPaul's yeah. Drag. I mean, it's everywhere, every genre. I don't, I don't yeah. know if you saw that. Katya and Trixie said, we can't wait for the new episode of Uh, and it's the two of them sitting with Bernie in between them. I do want to say that there was also uh, um, something that was being passed around today, and it was a behind-the-scenes parody video of uh, the conversations between all the VIPs, and it's Michelle Obama and it, talking about Gaga and Nancy talking about Gaga. It is absolutely hysterical. Go to the WOW report for that. It's voiced by Finesse Mitchell, right? Isn't that the oh, comedian? Yes, yes. It's his. It's his thing. It's a little racy, but it comes from the voice, the mind of Finesse Mitchell, and it is. It makes me laugh out loud. I've watched it. Was it was hysterical. Time. Yeah. All right, number eight. Number eight. Had a lot of time in quarantine last two weeks to watch things. Have any of you seen the movie Promising Young Woman? 
Is this the stalker one? Something is it? Yeah, Carrie Mulligan plays yeah. a character called Cassie, who's basically avenging her friend Nina, who was a victim of rape at a sort of uh, med school frat party. Um, and have, have you seen it? I have not, I but it's on my list. It's getting it's getting a lot of a lot of buzz. I mean, I. As a genre, the rape revenge genre apparently is, you know, something that was invented essentially in the 70s. And the, the tradition of rape revenge movies is that they're horror films, you know, because the woman gets raped and then she exacts terrible, violent retribution on the perpetrators. And this is weird because she doesn't she does do that, but it's not terrible and violent. She, for example, what the opening scene is, she uh, would appear to be completely drunk um, and a group of men are eyeing her up and sort of, you know, making that kind of talk about who's going to take her home. And one of them takes her home and diverts along the way instead of taking her home, takes her to his house, plies her with alcohol, you know, puts the move on a helpless drunk woman. And the twist is at some point, just as he's like, putting his hand up her skirt. She's like, what are you doing? And you realize that she's been pretending to be drunk all the time. And she's not drunk at all. But then the weird thing is, it's like the vengeance is just turning the tables on them and sort of holding up a mirror. She suddenly snaps out of the drunkenness to shame them. And I don't know what it is. I, everyone's raving about this movie, but it sort of left me a little a little depressed and a little, a little left me a little cold. It's directed by um, Emerald Fennell, who was the showrunner of the second season of um, Killing Eve. Which is one of She's your favorites. Yeah. She's part of that, that crowd. Um, it's just very weird. Well, um, and then there is an awesome, awesome twist at the end of the movie, which I guess I can't reveal. Blake, you've no. seen the movie. What did you think about it? I absolutely loved it. I can't believe you did it. I loved all the colors in the film. I love how it's all pastel and pink. And um, I love the soundtrack is amazing. It's got, oh, yeah, whatever songs that they do. Do they do a Britney Spears song? This is the trailer for the film has a Britney Spears on violin, the toxic. It's amazing. Um, th there was actually... I, I read an interview with the music supervisor of the film and he said he wanted it to be like the classic soundtracks that he grew up with, like Clueless, which is actually one of my favorite films and just brought back all the memories for me. But Clueless, I, that great revenge fantasy, revenge porn fantasy Clueless. No, um, just, I'm just talking about the soundtrack. I wanted to just to make ask if Carrie Mulligan is going to get an Oscar or will be Oscar nominated. I don't know. I, I mean, would... I love I love her nurse look for the climax of the film. She's in the rainbow-colored wig. That is gorgeous. Sort of reminding me of Club Kids and Party Monster. But I I don't know. It's it. I think I read an article comparing it to I May Destroy You. Have you seen I May Destroy You? Which is also about a sort of rape, revenge, rape, survival. I don't know. I, I, it's just... It's, I find it very difficult. I find it difficult to talk about, I guess. In a normal year, Carrie Mulligan would not be nominated, but 
since, you know, Bad Boys 3, like I said, is the number one film of the year this year. Who knows? Good point. Good point. Well, that's a promising young woman. It's available currently on demand. Um, all right, let's take a break. Blake, have you got a question? I do. And this week, both questions are about the inauguration or former inaugurations. What president had the honor of having both the coldest inauguration and the warmest inauguration? Mm, so, yeah. hand, it's a two-term president, unlike the last one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, you're listening to Wow Report on Radio Andy, and we'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report, things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James St. James. We are counting down top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. And Blake, you had a question for us. I did. Um, this week's inauguration week. I asked which president, two-term president, had the honor of having both the coldest inauguration day and the warmest inauguration day. Go, Tom. I think, I, think, I don't know why. I feel like somewhere in my memory, it's in my lifetime. I think it's Ronald Reagan. I think he had the I coldest the and the warmest. Thing. I remember that first one as being very, very cold. I don't remember the second one. That's exactly right. Reagan's the coldest was in 85 and the warmest was in 81. I remember that very well. Yeah. Amazing. All right, let's move on to number seven. Number seven. Who here is a big fan of Lord of the Rings? Just show of hands. Well, I'm not. I've never watched it. And yet, uh, a couple of days ago, because we were free and we had to do something to fill our time, uh, we took... Uh, we rented a car, actually, and Fenton drove on the left-hand side of the road, which you're supposed to do here. When he does that in the States, it causes havoc, but he's actually supposed to drive on the right, left-hand side of the road. And we went to the outdoor set, which has been turned into a theme park, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the rolling hills of, outside of Auckland, at a place called Hobbiton. And... You arrive and you, it's, we had a, I want to big, give a big shout out to our guide, who was the most gregarious uh, person on, on earth. He said it was something like his 6,000th tour. He was a company man through and through. We arrived and we had a little time to kill. So we went to the cafe to get, you know, like a cup of coffee and a cookie or something or a pie. And he was our, our, our server. And he said, we were like, we don't want to miss our tour. He goes, don't worry, I'm your bus driver. So we get on the bus and he's our bus driver and, you know, with 36 other people. Uh, and then uh, we get, he does the tour. And then at the end, the whole, the two hour tour, which we'll explain, but the, the whole lore is, because it gets to be, it's not too long, but, you know, you're giving up your freedom, your, your ability. To be like you can't, Once you're on it, you can't vary. You have to stay with it. And he kept saying, oh, and soon we're having that free beverage because there's we get to stop at a tavern at the end. So you're just like pacing yourself for that free beverage. You rinse it enough. Bus stops. You get off. Almost magically, he appears behind the counter giving, serving the, the ale or the ginger beer. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. And his name was Sonny. And he talked... I can't do the accent, but he he had this lilting voice that was, pur- 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 you know, uh, purposely overstated. So you could understand everything he was saying, and you could hear him from miles away. 
he was really charming. Really, I think he was so genius, wasn't he? Because the, I, the set of Hobbiton, I mean, it's great, but it is basically a few round doors uh, of little Hobbit houses, and you, you can't actually go in the Hobbit houses; they're just frontage. It's just so he manages to spin out forty of these fucking Hobbit house frontages into an hour and a half talk. And he describes how the tree on top of Bilbo Baggins's house was brought in and every single one of the 370,000 leaves was hand-painted and just tells these stories about making the film, which also is amazing because I think something like the to- some total of Hobbiton in the movie's trilogy is like, Six minutes on film. I think you're exaggerating. I think it's less. But the exteriors are really brief. And he would even say that. He goes, and and they put on 97,000 leaves. And if you watch the film, it's in it for a total of eight seconds. You know, from a distance. But I imagine that the drive there and just so much of the scenery in New Zealand has got to be so breathtaking that I think I could just look out the window and be happy for an hour and a half. 100%. 100%. We were in a beautiful spot. And so much, um, you know, in making Hobbiton, like, very unique, they import, you know, Peter Jackson, the director, who is a co-founder of this land, this, this theme park, you know, handpicked all these different animals that live in and around the farm. And, you know, they dredged a pond and, and put in bullfrogs. And, but then in the shooting, the bull, it was mating season. The bullfrogs were interrupting every scene for hundreds and thousands of feet. So they, 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 they sent in scuba divers and had people take the frogs out, but they came back. So it was one PA's job to just throw pebbles into the pond quietly while they're shooting because the pebbles would distract the, 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 the horny frogs. So, I mean, it was tons of stuff like that. And, and the, the big overall story is they did the first Hobbit movie. They built this, the set. And they tore it down, as they do. They include, they tore down the tree that they made. And then they came back and rebuilt everything for the second one. And then they tore everything down. And then when they made the third one, uh, uh, what's his name again? Peter Jackson said, talk to the farm owner and talk to Warner Brothers. said, let's make this a theme park. So they, they made everything a little bit more permanent in the third one. You know, everything's are made of, like, more materials that will last longer. It's impeccably cared. We read that you can intern for like a year in New Zealand, if you work at Hobbiton and like, so there's young people trimming things. And so it really was a paradise uh, kind of a moment. And we were kind of complaining during the time because we're cranky old men. But when the day after we're quoting it, you know, our Instagram is flooded with images. So it was uh, an adventure. So I have to say, if you come uh, anywhere near, uh, uh, I recommend Hobbiton. Yeah, Hobbiton is in Matamata which is about two hours out of Auckland. Uh, it's, it, it's also a perfect Instagram. I mean, it's made for Instagram, basically. You can't take a bad picture. Right? <laughs> so we'll put some up on the wire report. All right, let's go on to number six. Number six. Uh, bring things down for a second. Um, uh, I wanted to report about uh, what happened to gay icon Matthew Camp last week when he was the victim of a horrific hate crime, his house was burned down while he was in it. Um, Matthew, what they think is it was homophobes in the town of Poughkeepsie where he lives who did it. Um, Matthew is, like I said, he's a gay icon. He's been around for a while. He was a go-go dancer in New York in the nineties. One of the best go-go dancers of all time, they say. Now he is an entrepreneur. He's an adult performer. He is a co-owner of the brand Daddy Couture. 
He is a producer and a podcaster. He's sort of an all-around Renaissance guy and beloved within the gay community. And he's part of the Cock Destroyers. He works with them. Daddy Couture is part of the Cock Destroyers, who are those, those big, busty British women that made oh, that inspired yeah. the Cock Destroyer. Anyway, he's he's really tied in. He's really multifaceted. Anyway, keep and, going. And a really just all-around nice guy. He um uh he and his partner recently bought and were restoring uh, a Victorian Gothic mansion in Poughkeepsie, and uh it had been previously owned by the Church of Satan by a guy named Joe Netherworld Mandillo. And um, it was uh, a, a sort of a meeting place for the Church of Satan. And it's known as the Halloween house in town. And um, on the night of January 14th, there's pictures of a guy with two gallons of gasoline pouring it on the, the front porch, setting it on fire while jo- um, Matthew and his uh, partner were upstairs asleep. They escaped with their lives. I mean, just yeah. within seconds, lost everything. And, um, you know, he's 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 devastated. Um, like I said, they aren't sure whether it was he says he's, it was probably the homophobes in the town. It's a small conservative town and he is an adult performer. And he thought maybe that had something to do with it. Other people think that because the Church of Satan is still in the area and there's still other members that maybe it was retaliation against the Church of Satan. I don't know what happened. We don't really the police haven't really gotten to the bottom of it yet. But there is a GoFundMe page, which we can link to on the WOW report. Um, and uh, he's also on OnlyFans if you wanted to help him. So just God bless Matthew Camp. Have they arrested the uh, suspect yet? I don't think so. I um I haven't I haven't I gotten any updates. I don't think. Hmm. Um, but like I said, there is there is a picture of there uh, Im- images of him doing it, like security mm-hmm. camera photo. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that he's safe. I mean, yeah, I mean, just, they said he said just by the skin of his teeth. I mean, literally with seconds to go, and he posted pictures of it just up in flames. The images are just absolutely. I mean, it's just shocking and and, and uh, devastating. devastating. Definitely belongs to the pre-inauguration world. That kind of crime. That, mm. you know? Well, hopefully, hopefully, it's it's okay. a thing of the past. All right. Uh, moving on. Number five. Number five. Uh, you know, I was talking a little bit ago about rape revenge, and uh, I think it's a it's a really tricky subject to deal with in movies. But this is a story in a documentary form dealing with rape. Well, and specifically, in fact, dealing with child abuse. And the filmmaker uh, Sasha Newlinger, Newlinger, Newliner. Um, he was, he is the filmmaker and he is accessing all his family's home movies because his dad was a huge, sort of like Nelson, was just you know, obsessed with documenting everything about the family. Cameras were on all the time, him and his uncles. Um, and um, Sasha has gone back, is going through all these uh, home movies because... As a kid, he was abused and sexually abused. And the, it's so brilliantly done because you, it reminds me a bit of capturing the Freedmans because it's a, it's a mystery. You don't quite know what's going on. You know, his mother's talking about him as a baby. He's incredibly bright. And then suddenly he withdraws from the world and has problems learning to read. And then you see in the videos, he's incredibly angry. And then you see the childhood drawings he did. 
and they were incredibly violent. And then it comes out that he was abused. The police suspect it's his father. And it wasn't. It wasn't his father. But then it turns out it was his brother, the father's brother. And the father had two brothers, and both of those brothers were abusing Sasha. And even one of the sons of one of the brothers was abusing Sasha. And not only abusing Sasha, but abusing his sister too. So it is a horrific, toxic situation of three adults in this family abusing two kids. And it's all done with the home movies. And you're suddenly looking at these home movies because there are moments before and after the abuse, you know, where it's a, it's a home movie, but you know that just before this scene of a barbecue, one of the uncles was abusing the, the five-year-old kid upstairs. It's, it's incredibly, it is incredibly dark, but it is also incredibly powerful. And in the course of the film, and you learn that, that Sasha's father, who did not abuse his son, but Sasha's father had been abused horrifically by his brother. And then, as if that isn't enough in terms of twists, it turns out that the, the main abuser, in other words, the abuser who abused his brother when he was a kid, and then went on to abuse his brother's kid, he is a big muckety-muck in the Catholic Church. He was an opera singer by career and then became a cantor. And as they unravel this mystery and as one of the guys gets tried and sent to prison and then his dad gets tried and sent to prison, the last person arrested and apprehended is the big muckety-muck, who is the prime mover of all the abuse. And the terrible just infuriating outcome is that he goes to prison for the least amount of time and all the others you know getting long long sentences and yet a person really responsible for all of this disruption and tragedy and suffering basically gets away with it it's a it's 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 bleak i i i'm i'm sure none nothing that i'm saying makes you want to go and oh i'm gonna go and watch that but i think it is truly we, you know, it's always so frustrating that the Oscar rarely seems to go to the most deserving, incredible piece of work. I think this, you know, this should win the Oscar for best. Wait book. a minute, you have two movies that could basically win the Oscar right now for the documentary series. So I, you, shouldn't you be? Um, <laughs> could there be a tie? Could there be a tie? <laughs> yes, there you go. I don't I'm think anything like that. You might it, argue it, with you. I know, I know, because it was, uh, I know, because it was Octopus, my Octopus, my teacher, the Octopus. Oh, right, right yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, that's Rewind. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. Um, We'll take a quick break. Hey, did you know that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, vagina-scented candle exploded in a UK woman's home last week? I did see that, yes. Well, I just wanted to at the moment. I'm oh, sorry. No, I was just going to take a moment to tell you that our charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent candles will not explode. So go with the safe option and buy a C-U-N-T candle from um, the worldofwonder.net store. Store at what? Store.worldofwonder.net. All right. All right. So let's take, <laughs> let's take a break. And Blake, have you got a question for us? I do have a question. And remember, these are both 
both questions this episode are about the inauguration. Whose inauguration was the first streamed over the internet? Hmm. You're listening to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. We'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom, James, and Blake. What was that? We had a teasing question about the inauguration. Yes. Whose inauguration was the first ever streamed online? Well, I'm probably going to think that George W. Bush wasn't smart enough and his people weren't smart enough to to do it at the time. So I'm going to say Obama. I'm going to go with Clinton. I'm going to go with Papa Bush, with George H. Bush. Fenton's right. Clinton. It was his second inauguration in 1997. Interesting. Oh, oh, fantastic. Okay, we're counting down top 10 things that made us go, wow, and we've reached number four. Tom. Number four. I'm going to say a name, and then I want to have an orderly conversation. Army Hammer. Now, I know that he's in the news. I have been half paying attention. So if I'm missing something, please fill me in. And I don't mean to be rude to anyone. I know we live in a very politically correct era. Like, first of all, he's really hot. So I'm a little I'm pro him in that way. And hasn't he been discovered like personal text messages and voicemails of a sexual nature, of potentially a role-playing nature? Uh, maybe even BDSM, which is bondage and SNM, like which is not illegal among mutual participants. Isn't that isn't that been leaked? And now people are down on Army Hammer, the actor, because he's because of his kink. Is that what's happening, or am I missing something? James ain't James. You're missing a big portion of the story, in which part of his kink is that he wants to cannibalize his his uh, uh, mates, and he wanted to cut the toe off of one girl and carry it in his pocket. He wanted to take the rib out of another girl and braise it with barbecue sauce and eat it for lunch. He um. He said that his his fantasy is to be a cannibal and to eat his his, his sexual partners. Would you believe? And again, this is a personal question that I want to indict you. But can't you think that your kink or your fantasy doesn't necessarily translate to actually you doing it? And again, yeah, I'm not going to all the information. By, but by the same token, if you have fantasies of of violent nature, then perhaps it might lead to something and you might need to, to check that out. If you, if you, if your fantasy is to um, string cat, to skin cats alive and to hang them up from their, their paws, then maybe you have some violent tendencies. And maybe if you, if your fantasy is to carry toes around in your pocket, then maybe you should, should um, be called out on it. That's fair, but it just seems like, He's in the process potentially, and this is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but being canceled for a very personal thing that hasn't really manifested itself. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i not defending him in like, that's a good thing or anything. And I also think like when women say to a guy, oh, you're so big, you're so big. That's a fantasy. That, that's, that's a lie. But it's not violent is what you're saying. Right. And we don't, you're right. I don't know that he should be canceled yet until we get to the bottom of it. And I, he refuses to talk about it. And he was taken into the police over something else um, uh, just recently. I, I, you know, I liked him too. I thought he was fantastic in The Man from Uncle. I thought he was so good. I didn't like him in Call Me By Your Name. Um, he was completely wrong for the part. But uh, um, I, I mean, I, I, 
if it does turn out to be true, then cancel away. If it doesn't turn out to be true, then let's, you know, give him a second chance. I don't think he's going to be hurting either way. He's the son of industrial billionaire. He's the grandson of billionaire industrialist Arm and Hammer of Arm and Hammer. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's he does come from billions and billions and billions of dollars. So I'm not worried. But, um, uh, yeah, I think let's find out a little bit more. There was a case a few years ago, and I can't remember who it was or the names, where I think it was a policeman. Um, His cannibal fantasies were exposed and he got kicked out of the police force. And it was a it was quite a high, quite a high profile case. I can't remember what the outcome of the trial was, because I think he was put on trial and his whole defense was, look, you know, I have done nothing wrong. This is a, a fantasy. But you're, I'm sorry, you are correct about there being a thought police. And it, it, there was the, you know, isn't that total recall with, with Tom Cruise that in the future, the police can read your thoughts and know your crimes before you do it. So you get arrested for doing a crime that you haven't done. And there, it is a bit of that. Um, but also there is, you know, like a meme that's going around. It's been going around for a couple of years now where hot celebrities, their fans say, I want you to choke me. I want you to put your foot in my, you know, I want you to to punch me in the stomach. I, you know, I want you to, you know, spit in my mouth. And people think that that's erotic to talk about that. And maybe this is an, uh, sort of a. I just think people have, you know, S&M, you know, leather. There's all kinds of fantasies out there that may conjure up ideas and things that the person may never do. I don't know how to assess that, but I think I think it is a little dangerous when we start tiptoeing. And listen, the culprit of this, I guess, are voicemails and and text messages, right? So I mean, I I have not been a, a, an active dater in the in the digital age as much as I was prior to it. And you know, it, it's like the idea of flirting on a text or something. You say things flirting that are like. Nothing even dirty, but just the the language you might use or the aggression you might show. Again, not even dangerous, but just flirty, kind of like it's a other person. You know, what you'd say on Grinder is different than what you'd say, you know. Well, uh, yeah. by, the, by the same token, I think that celebrities should probably be um, a little more conscious of the fact that it will be leaked rather than you or I. You know, right. I think if you're a celebrity, you should probably be uh, a little nervous before you say anything provocative or controversial You're right. but then you then you start to build a tom cruise wall around you you know it's it's a weird thing because i I, 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 I think that, that when you're talking about eating someone's ribs it's uh it's a, a slightly different i, I do than, think cannibalism is a little bit it isn't it is it's a little bit false equivalency it says like s&m it's it, kind it, of yes, exactly and, that's what and it, but it, it but it is a vexed area because remember also there was another case in germany of a man who advertised for someone who was willing to be eaten. And someone came forward on the internet. So that's a and ate him. The internet age. He went to this guy and he said, I want you to eat me. And that's what he did. The cannibal ate him and the, the person died. Well, you know, I don't know, but I still wonder that people have sexual fantasies, things they'll never do that they never can do. And I don't well, know if it's not crossing a boundary in your mind. Definitely. And I'm wondering, is he does he have cannibalist tendencies or is that his kink? I don't know. That's my question. No, no, no. But but 
what he whether he does or not if you advertise like Fenton says and you you get someone to play it you don't know what the other person you don't know how far the other person is going to take it and if you're playing around with army hammer you don't know how far he's going to take it i mean it, but that's again back to consensual sex and people assigning consensual cannibalism is different than consensual sex but maybe consensual sex is allowing someone to talk to you like that. I don't understand what dog you have in this fight that you're so <laughs> in. It made sure. I don't like people shaming and I don't like people latching on to something and making people into monsters when maybe it's just a kink. I, once you are, on something, if someone is a monster, you need to, to call it out. And I'm I'm asking, what's the line between fantasy? I think it's a very interesting line and worth discussing on our our scientific podcast another time, a scientific behavioral modification podcast. But about All what I is know, what you put into action. Every time we talk about cannibalism on this on this show, it goes wildly wrong. I think we all have a cannibalism problem because we, we, our minds are constantly thinking about it. This is my first time speaking about cannibalism on the show. Most of the time I have my ears covered, just to be fair. That is true. That is true. And if you can make T.S. Madison, if you can stun her to silence, that's amazing. Because T.S. Madison is never at a loss for words. Do you remember, James? I do and remember. it was the first thing we were talking about. And we could not get a word out of her for the rest of the show. He's at there slack-jawed with her <laughs> eyes, like the size of ping-pong balls, and horror at, at us maniacs. That's right. Very excited, though, because uh, T.S. Madison's show is coming to We, Women's Entertainment, and uh, WOW have produced it. So fantastic. I cannot wait for that. Yeah. All right. Number three, James. Number three. Um, uh, once again, bringing it down a little bit. Well, I don't know how far we can bring it down from the last topic, but um, uh, I wanted to say rest in peace to 24 year old fashion icon, Harry Brandt, who died this week. Um, he died of an overdose of prescription pills Um Harry was the son of 90s supermodel Stephanie Seymour, and his father was billionaire industrialist, art collector extraordinaire, and magazine uh, mogul uh, Peter Brandt. Um, He owned Interview, Art News, um, Art in America, uh, a lot of those things. Um, He and uh, Harry and his brother Peter Brandt, Peter Brandt Jr became exposed when they were like 14 and 16 years old. There was an article, I think in Vanity Fair or Interview, I can't remember which one, that called them the princes of the city. And at 14 years old, they were the biggest A-list stars in the fashion community. They were in $100,000 couture outfits every night. The uh, New York Times dubbed him uh, Little Lord Fauntleroy, which he grew to hate. There was he walked. They both walked in Balmain in lots of fashion shows. They were on the red carpet continually. They were at the Met Costume Ball every year. They were the stars wherever they went. Absolutely stunning, stunning boys. They definitely got their mother's supermodel gene. They just had those lips and those big anime eyes and the cheekbones. And like I said, always in just the most spectacular outfits you've ever seen. They seem to have the world at their feet. Um, They uh, started, like I said, started hitting the clubs at like 14, 16 years old, which I don't know is ever a good thing. Didn't their parents have a nasty divorce? Um, 
I'm not sure. I know Peter Brandt Sr. had a nasty divorce with his previous wife. I don't know if he and Stephanie, I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'd have to look that up. But um, uh, Harry, um, what, Harry and Peter were in the process of creating a line for Mac of cosmetics for men. Um, Harry was writing for Interview Magazine. He, uh, like I said, he sort of, he, he's somebody that I followed incessantly on Instagram uh, because he was just so watchable and so charismatic and sort of like one of those brats that you love to hate. He was like, a, he and his brother were Paris and Nikki Hilton for the new generation. And it's just, it's very sad when something like this happens. And I just wanted to say, you know, rest in peace. And I hope his family is doing okay. It's yeah. very sad. 24. So young. So young. Number two. Number two. Uh, another documentary I watched. Um, this one's uh, playing at the uh, Sundance Film Festival that's coming up soon. Um, of course, this year, Sundance, like most film festivals, is completely virtual. And that's sort of appropriate for this documentary, which is called A Glitch in the Matrix. And James, you may know it's by Rodney Asher, who used to work at World of Wonder on a number of shows before he made the amazing documentary about Stanley Kubrick's films. I think it was Room... I can never remember. It's Room 238 or 268. But it was a, yeah. a brilliant uh, unpicking of all the conspiracies surrounding... Room 234, huh? Yeah. Of, of all the sort of uh, conspiracies surrounding Stanley Kubrick and his films. And... As the title might suggest, this is a film about the whole idea that we are living in a simulation. It was Room 237, I think, maybe. 252, do I hear 274? The documentary is, is all exploring this idea that's gained a lot of ground lately, that we are living in a simulation, that, that we are not base reality. We are, you know, a copy of some other alien life forces, like a computer game. And um, I believe it completely. I really do. I, I more and more I'm I'm believing this and I'm, I'm excited to hear more. Well, you know, Elon Musk is a big advocate of that. He says he, he's sure that we're living in a matrix like uh, simulation. And he argues that when you look at video games and how you started with Pong and where you've got to today in terms of 3D and verisimilitude, he's saying any improvement is ultimately going to lead to a point at which you cannot tell the difference between real life and a video game. And on that basis, he thinks the odds that we are the original real life is incredibly remote. He thinks it's more than likely that we are just someone else's video game. There's another really interesting idea at the beginning, which is that every, you can sort of, how we see the world at different periods in history can be, identified by the most advanced technology. So, for example, when aqueducts were the most advanced thing, people used to think about humors and fluids coming in and out of the body. That was the way we saw ourselves. Or when the telegraph came in, we have this idea about nerve impulses and electrical stimulation. And so now the computer, that explains why we see life as a simulation. So I, I don't know. You know, I um I see glitches in in the uh, in the simulation all the time, and I'm not sure whether I'm having a stroke or not. Um, but I I do see things that ha- you know, like every once in a while, you'll just see something, and you'll be like, wait a minute, that 
wasn't just like that a second ago or, you know, and I'm, I'm very much um, a believer in that type of thing. And I think that we are all Sims to uh, an alien civilization. Tom. I have nothing to say about this, but I just did a news update while you guys were talking. And Stephanie Seymour and Peter Brandt separated in 2009, but re- re- reconciled and are together. Just, just Good just to know. Them. Oh. Um, well, anyway, have you heard of the Mandela effect, James? That yeah. is after Nelson Mandela, right? When so many hundreds of thousands of people believed Nelson Mandela is dead or alive. I can't remember which way it is, but well, they believe that he had died back in the 1990s. But um, uh, and it's also there's there's a, um, a thing that you might remember, Tom, is that do you remember in your childhood, whether it was the Berenstein Bears? That's the book that you read, right? That you read the, you read the Berenstein Bears. It was a family of bears. It was a, 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 a childhood book. OK, right? No, it wasn't. It was the Berenstain Bears. And 95% of the people remember, by God, that it was the Berenstain Bears. And that's uh, that's one of the big Mandelas. There's a couple other examples. I don't know if you have them just off the top of your head. I don't, but those are the, those are the two that stick out in the film. Yeah. And, um, but, it, you know, what's one of the interesting, really interesting things is that in the course of this film, we're talking to different experts and they're all in their avatar sort of outfits but you also hear this voice and it's someone talking about their obsession with the matrix and how they watched it over and over and over again and how they got a black trench coat. And the upshot of the story is that this kid ended up getting a gun like the matrix and went downstairs and murdered his parents. So one of the interviews says that the, the problem with the, the simulation idea is that the grass, you know, people say the grass is greener on the other side. And she says the grass is dead on both sides of this idea. Um, oh. Fundamentally a cop out that, uh, you know, faced with the complexity of existence, the idea of a simulation is an easy cop out. Uh, and that uh, the other, you know, that I could see that. I mean, I do think that people you know, embracing QAnon it's slightly different, but it's still the same inability to face the complexity of life and looking for some rational explanation or some simple idea. Don't connect to make, to make sense of things that kind of don't make sense, which is life. So that's, um, that's Rodney Ash's new documentary. Yeah. A glitch in the matrix, which uh, is available on demand currently, but will be having its official premiere at the Sundance film festival. I think I had a glitch during that story, just so you know. So I apologize, whatever I said. This whole thing is a simulation. Um, oh, look, the things that made me queer is our new podcast, from World of Wonder, uh, with Crystal from Drag Race UK. Uh, Detox is the first guest, and new episodes air weekly on Tuesdays on all your, wherever you go, get your podcasts. All right? So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. What, what's number one? Number one. It can only be one thing this weekend. It's just the actual inauguration. January 20th, 2021. A day that will live in beauty. You know, this has been a, a, a month of Wednesdays, right? One Wednesday on the 
I want to say, yes, the 6th was the storming of the Capitol, the domestic terrorism. Uh, the week after that, exactly the week after that, he was in, uh, Trump was impeached for the second time by the House of Representatives. And then seven days later, uh, Biden is inaugurated in what I thought was a spectacularly beautiful uh, ceremony. A couple of things that just worked out, you know, the fact that the crowds, there was no crowd. It was beautiful. It was starting to look at. It was incredibly well paced. And the fact that Trump, who did not participate in the long, long, long tradition of a, of, of a peaceful, you know, a transfer of power, him not being there was perfect. Perfection. I'm lucky that I slept through his departure and I'll never, I hope to never see it in my lifetime. And I woke up in time, like at 4 15 or something here in Auckland, to watch it on CNN. And uh, I just had the chills the whole way through. What did you guys think? I thought it was absolutely spectacular. Um, uh, the performers, I thought the speeches were great. I thought, like, like we've talked about, the outfits were great. I thought that it was just a beautiful, beautiful day, even though everyone must have been freezing their asses off. I love the fact that every single person wore a mask. I wish that we could get more crowd shots of people wearing masks. I think it's a, it's a great inspiration for people. Benson, what did you think? I, I loved it too. I loved the poem. I thought that was amazing. She's amazing. And she's what, 22 years old? And she's the poet laureate. And, um, oh, just, and I'm sorry, little Braden, um, the, the stuttering boy who read uh, the JFK speech. I just, every time I see him, I just burst into tears. I love the, the, the relationship between him and Joe so much. So, yeah. And it's Amanda Gorman, who you just mentioned, the, the junior poet laureate, who a star was born that very moment. I felt like in some ways she was just she was someone we'd never seen before. And I don't think we'll ever forget. And, you know, there's that meme where it's like what it was like and what's happening now or something. That meme, someone put that up there and they put in the what it was like is Maya Angelou, who, of course, famously did was the poet at Bill Clinton's inauguration, and then Amanda in the second. And that just to see that beautiful lineage and that, that line from 92 until today, you know, it doesn't make everything right, but it, it, we need to see more lines like that and more, more representation and, and a, hist, a deep, rich history of people of color. And, 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 you know, seeing Pete Buttigieg there with his husband warm my heart. You know, while there wasn't a particularly uh, gay performer, I thought having Jennifer Lopez and Lady Gaga was pretty was, was pretty was pretty uh, pro LGBTQ. I got to uh, say that, that Pete Camp was uh, going from this land is your land into um, what is it? What's the song? The night. Let's get loud. Yes. I thought that was one of the most ridiculous things I have ever seen. I wanted to throw a brick at the TV, but I can laugh at it now. It's an inaugural remix, bitch. I right? Think- I mean, just so camp and silly. I think the meme you were speaking of earlier was how it started versus how it's going. And I think there, there's uh, uh, you can say how it started with Patty LaBelle's hat and take it to Gaga's dove. Or, oh, you or mean Aretha Franklin's hat. I mean Aretha Franklin's hat, yes. But you got to tell, why? I mean, I have never seen a meme spread so fast and everywhere and so many varieties as the Bernie Sanders one. What is that about? Explain it. I just don't, I mean, I love it. I love it. And I'm co- collecting them all, but like, what? Well, I, I, one of the things, one of the funniest tweets about it was that it looked, he looked like he was dressed for um, 
he had to go to the inauguration, but it was it wasn't the big thing on his list to do that day. <laughs> so and and the mittens that he's been he wears every time he goes out, they're so you know it's like somebody's grandmother knitted them for him. He just looks like he does not give a shit, but that's what we love about him. Because it's he very Vermont, it. and it's also it's political humor that isn't mean or divisive. Because it really is kind of a celebration of his cadre self and his his sort of you know Peter Falk Colombo anti-fashion statements. You know, and and I thought I just it brings a, it brings joy. It's it's the, someone said also like like we used to like hate scroll through our social media. In the past couple of days, we've been joy scrolling because listen, and I know there's a, there's so much to do and so many obstacles that we face. It's not like we won and woo, but you know, if, if uh, Biden will do so much more for us, I have faith in him, but the fact that he's restoring the sense of adulthood and decency and is just so exciting. It's a brand new day. You know, it'll, the only time I want to talk about Trump is when it has to do with the um, public litigations that he is going through. I I don't want to reference him in any other way. I I, I just, I just want to add that on that note, Tom, um, seeing Biden tweet out that he is going to the Oval Office and then seeing the pictures of him signing a stack of executive orders, that was a a highlight of the day for me because that's not what the previous president did and um, in terms of working hard, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, all right, we're out of time. I also think that the right may eat itself up. The QAnon people don't believe in Trump anymore. They think they left him alone. You've got the credible zealots. They're not on Twitter. They're going other places. So I'm hoping they eat each other alive. That's his wish. Are you going back to cannibalism? Are we? Another like eating things. What's going on? Are you on some weird diet that's making you crave Republican flesh? Oh, I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection. I guess I guess I, I'm giving a theme. It's so it's so deep inside of my ribs that I, I didn't even know I was saying. <laughs> That's all we got time for. Uh, thanks. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Uh, you can tune into previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow. But wear a mask. <laughs>